anyone who knows me knows that I am madly, deeply, passionately in love with Chipotle. (laughs) Give me a burrito and I am good. Let's not meet for coffee. Let's meet for chips and guac, friends. Now, not only am I arguably the world's biggest fan of Chipotle's food, but I'm also a huge fan of their mission and purpose. Their heart for sustainability, their passion for using real, clean ingredients in their restaurants, their purpose in supporting local farms worldwide. Chipotle has been setting the standard for many others to follow in the food industry for quite some time now. So needless to say, when they reached out and wanted to come on the Business with Purpose podcast, you know I was ready. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Caitlin Liebert, the Director of Sustainability for Chipotle. As Head of Sustainability for Chipotle Mexican Grill, Caitlin is responsible for creating and implementing the company's sustainability vision and strategy in more than 2,500 restaurants worldwide. So everything from waste reduction to energy management, water stewardship, Caitlin is working to minimize Chipotle's impact as a company and plays a key role in developing new practices. I loved chatting with Caitlin just to really hear a little bit more about her story and how she got even started with Chipotle and all of the initiatives that she has led and what is really taking Chipotle to the next level. Now, real quick, before I get into my awesome conversation with Caitlin, I actually have a quick message for ethical and sustainable brand owners. Are you looking to make your business just explode in 2020 and beyond? My girl M. Sexton, CEO of The Flourish Market, and I are actually hosting the Get After It Getaway in Nashville, Tennessee, January 12th through 14th, 2020. This retreat is designed specifically for you as an ethical brand owner. We're going to be tackling things like mindset, getting after your courage, reframing your marketing message, pitching boutiques and wholesaling. We're going to talk about social media. We're going to give you an email list game plan. We're going to have time management and focus workshops and branding hot seats, trend forecasting, product suite and growing your bottom line. It's going to be absolutely incredible. So for more information and for how to register, visit stillbeingmolly.com forward slash retreat. That's stillbeingmolly.com forward slash retreat. All right, without further ado, on to my conversation with Caitlin Liebert of Chipotle. Caitlin, I am so excited to have you on the show. How are you today? Thanks, Molly. I am fantastic. I'm so glad to be here. Well, you know, it is no secret uh, that I am pretty much, I, I, I might argue, one of, if not the, the world's largest fan of Chipotle Mexican Grill. So when I received the email from the team at Chipotle uh, to have you on the show, I, you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, I, I probably replied in with, with zero amount of chill. <laughs> so... <laughs> I love that. I love that. First of all, the world needs more people without chill. That's my personal opinion. So I feel you. 
Second of all, I love it. I love that you're a fan. So thank you for being such a fan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I just zero chill. I was just like, yeah, I nearly passed out when I received your email. So yes, I would love to have you guys on the show. Um, and I have no shame that I'm even sharing that because you know what? I feel like we need to, we all just need a little bit of humility and <laughs> yes, I love it. I love that. Um, and I kind of wish that we could do this interview in person over chips and guac because that would just make it that much better but <laughs> it is we'll have to do virtual chips and guac virtual how about that chips and guac i'm a fan but we're uh, alas we are on opposite sides of the united states of america so that would be a little bit difficult however um i just know that this is going to be a fantastic conversation i'm just so so grateful for you to take uh, some time out of what I know is a very busy schedule to come on the show. Um, so with all of that being said, I would love for you to give us what all of my guests give us, and that is the Caitlin 101. So tell us who you are, how you got to where you are today, and even like maybe even a little bit of the Chipotle 101, if anybody has been living under a culinary rock. <laughs> happy to do so. Happy to do so. Yeah. Again, thank you for having me. It's such a treat uh, to pause in in a busy day and, and take a moment to reflect. So trust me when I'm saying I'm just as excited as you are. It's a, it's a awesome. nice treat. Um, so Caitlin 101, a born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, real Midwestern girl. Wait uh, a second. <laughs> Stop right there. You're from Cleveland? I knew we were meant to be best friends. My dad is from Cleveland. And are you, okay, are you a Cleveland sports fan? Obviously. Oh is the sky blue? Stop <laughs> it. Okay, hold the phone. We're just interrupting the entire interview right there. The fact that I have a, somebody who works at Chipotle and is also a Browns and Indians fan on my show is like truly a sign that this was meant to be. And the Cavs. You can't fit the Cavs. And the Cavs. And the Cavs. And the Cavs. And the Cavs. Okay. All right. So now you have, <laughs> you've risen from being awesome to like the queen of awesome. So, okay. Well, so I love that. I love the fact that me being from Cleveland elevated. Really Usually, did. you know, people have different opinions, but I loved it. I loved growing up there. I had a great, great childhood and uh, was there until I was 18 and then went to school, undergraduate at University of New Hampshire. My whole life, I thought I'd go to Dartmouth. My dad was, uh, I was a legacy at Dartmouth. My dad went there, didn't get in early decision, thought the world was over, ended up just sort of saying, you know what, what do I want out of this experience? I went to a place where I didn't know anybody. I had never even visited University of New Hampshire. Um, but I thought, you know what, why don't you start fresh with something completely new? And it was one of the best decisions of my life. Went there, met some of the best friends of my life, had a great four years, um, moved back to Cleveland. And I thought I'd go into sports marketing, um, had a really great internship um, at IMG um, and thought for sure that was the path for me, was recruited straight out of college by the PGA Tour and um, to, not to play, but to work in sports marketing and um, went there. Flew, they flew me out a couple of weeks after graduation and it was the strangest thing. I walked in. And I knew in my gut that it wasn't the right job for me. And at 21, um, that is certainly a bold statement. Yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. To walk away from to walk away from a job, um, and I give my parents a lot of credit. They didn't kick me out of their house. They didn't say you have to take it. Uh, they believed me when I said this wasn't the role for me. And sure enough, a few weeks later. My mom, mom's no best, came up to me and said, hey, Chipotle is posting for a job um, in Cleveland if you want to stay. Um, and it's on the marketing team. And I thought, well, I don't know. I, I was a fan of Chipotle, but I didn't think I wanted to go into the food industry. 
Um, I really believe that sports was the industry for me. And my mom said, well, why don't you just apply? You don't even know if you're going to get it. And I was lucky enough to get an interview. And um, it was the complete opposite experience. They flew me out for the day to, um, at that time, it was outside of Washington, D.C., one of the regional offices. And I really didn't think I was going to take a job if I was lucky enough to be offered it. And by the end of the day, I was just, it was so clear that this was the right company for me. So that was 13 years ago. I started uh, my 13th year, October 1st. So um, that, as they say, the rest is history. Um, I started in Cleveland, was able to move to Boston um, about a year later and open up the New England market, was there for almost three years, and then had the opportunity uh, to start the sustainability department. Um, after about a six-month um, application and interview, I was lucky enough to, to be chosen to start that department, uh, moved to Denver for almost nine years. And then last year made the move uh, from Denver to Orange County when we relocated. That is so awesome. I love how your story kind of is almost a roundabout way for how you kind of got into the current position of director of sustainability. Now, for somebody who maybe asks, you know, okay, well, what do you do for a living? And you say, I'm the director of sustainability for Chipotle. And they say, okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Sure. What do you, how do you usually answer that? Yeah, I think the simplest way is Chipotle has a mission of cultivating a better world. And my team's job is to help fulfill that promise. And we do that mainly through the environmental side of that. Um, So we do everything from waste to energy to water, making sure that we're measuring and improving and understanding our impact as a company. Um, But also in food and animals and people, we're also cultivating a better world. And so uh, we look really closely at um, how we grow and raise food um, and the the practices we have there, um, how we're supporting the next generation of farmers, um, how, you know, the benefits, everything from the benefits that we offer, working to make sure that we're industry leading in that space. And then we work on reporting. So we write the sustainability report that's published every two years with um, an update in the goals, excuse me, on the, yeah, an update on a progress report on the goals in the in-between years. Uh, so we work with all the departments to make sure that we're setting really aggressive, industry-leading, but attainable goals um, that I like to call them stretch goals, right? That make a, make us a better company because we're working to set these goals um, in food and animals, people, in the environment. I love that. And Chipotle really has been a very unique leader in this space in a lot of ways. And they have sort of set the standard for the way that a lot of other restaurants, especially in kind of the fast casual category, have had to kind of step up their own games. I mean, think about just the progress that Chipotle's made over the last few years. And then, of course, and I believe it was 2015 when they made the statement that they were going to go completely non-GMO and how that has really transformed Chipotle and how that's also, you know, like I said, encouraged other restaurants to kind of follow suit. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, as you, you know, as you've been there since 2007, um, but obviously in your line of work with, with Chipotle and knowing the history of the company, where does all of that passion stem from? Like, where did that really begin? Yeah, I, you know, I think with a, a, a founder 
like Steve, I think is really where it all began for Chipotle. You know, in 1993, he started with just this really simple idea. And you're so right to take it back in time because at the time there were no QSRs. There was no such thing as really high quality fast food. That that wasn't a thing. And sometimes it's easy to forget that. Um, but to go back to that time, 93 in Denver, um, and honestly, it, it came, you know, he's a chef from the Culinary Institute of America. He graduated. He worked under Chef Jeremiah Towers in San Francisco and Stars. Um, and just this really, he had this this vision for this restaurant, right? And it wasn't necessarily from a place of sustainability at the time, you know, high quality ingredients. That's one component of it. But actually what I love about this story is that it came from a place of flavor, right? It, it drove, he understood he looked at his sales. The pork wasn't selling. He tried to figure out why. It was very dried out on the line. Um, and he met with Paul Willis of, of Nyman Ranch um, and understood that the way an animal is raised um, impacts the way that meat tastes. And from that moment, he really understood that, again, how ingredients are raised impacts flavor. And so it came from a really incredible place. Um, and uh, from there, the idea of food with integrity was really born. So that's where it started um, way back when. And and we've gone from food with integrity. And we then had this idea of changing the way people think about and eat fast food, which I believe we did. Yeah. I believe yeah. we can put a check next to that, right? And then moving on now to this idea of cultivating a better world, because we know that it is beyond food. Food for us is the gateway by which we can help uh, really make incredibly positive impact, um, not just in the communities that we operate, which are many, right, 2,500 locations. Um, but when you think about our supply network, the opportunity that we have to create positive change, um, it gives me chills. It really gives me chills. So I think it came from a place of our founder. And then I think what that does is when you have a really clear purpose and a vision and what you do, I mean, it's just delicious, right? At the, at the very least, it's just really good food. Yes. Amen. So preach. Have, exactly. <laughs> so when you have those two things together, I think you attract top talent, right? I think you attract people who are passionate to work for you. And with 75,000 plus employees, um, we have what I feel like is one of the most engaged group of employees of all time. Um, and I feel really fortunate about that. Pretty much everyone I interact with in the restaurants at the office is just as passionate about cultivating a better world as those of us on the front line of, of, of that being our day-to-day -day job, which is really cool. I totally agree. And it's something that, I mean, I have had friends who have worked at Chipotle and they have just said what a great company it is to work for. Um, but I really want to touch on that point that you you brought up about the impact of the supply chains that you can have on the supply chains and the impact that you have on local farmers and partnering with local farmers. And I always just think it's so amazing when I think about, you know, like I go to the Chipotle that's near my house at in Durham, North Carolina. Carolina and how they partner as much as they can to, to source ingredients from local North Carolina farmers. And how, I mean, there's just it, it creates this different level of that whole the, the whole farm to table movement when you're even doing it at, you know, because you, you, you see, especially in Durham, like, let me just say Durham is a foodie town <laughs> like they love their like local foodie restaurants and very unique foodie type places. And so 
to have even, you know, something that's like a large corporation, a franchise type establishment also be passionate about that is incredibly impactful because of just the sheer volume that they are producing and and uh, that they're bringing in. Absolutely. And one additional point on that is the price point as well, right? So at the scale that we have, we are in fact 100% corporately owned, so no franchises. But that idea that we can offer um, local, organic, um, you know, higher animal welfare meat, all of these different things um, at an affordable price point, which is what you don't usually see it, right? I think we can all agree that at the fine dining restaurants, um, most of them have really embraced this because they understand, again, not just that it's the right thing to do, but it leads to better tasting, higher quality food. But to do it it, at the price point that we do, I think is the truly remarkable thing. And I think it's what makes us so unique. You know, in addition to this purpose, I mean, my gosh, we we make real food accessible for almost everyone. And I think that that is pretty incredible. Um, this isn't about a 40 or $50 pork chop. You can have Nyman Ranch carnitas um, for seven, eight, nine dollars You know, that is pretty incredible. Um, it's the same pork that you would get at the fine dining restaurant. So for me, there is um, the accessibility of our food that I think is really unique. Uh, Absolutely. I would totally agree. Now, I'm curious because I feel like you guys have had to have done surveys, whether it's like in an official capacity or just anecdotally. How much have you found, especially in your role, do customers, do Chipotle consumers care about the sustainability aspect versus just the food being really good? Or is it Is there a mixture there? Yeah, I mean, I think that there will always be a mixture. But what we do know is um, I think that the majority of our customers feel passionately about our purpose. And sustainability is a newer word for many people. But I think what we see from millennials and the younger generation is that we they, they embrace this idea of sustainability. And generally speaking, they feel that Chipotle stands for doing the right thing. And so we find that um, that is a big part of why people eat there. Again, I think what goes so pretty beautifully here is this idea that you don't have to choose one or the other. Most of our customers eat there because it's really good food and because they generally feel like they're supporting something positive. And so I think that one without the other, um, we don't have to pick, right? The majority of our customers, whether they eat there because it's really delicious and it's craveable, that's what they want, that's great. We welcome those customers. And whether people come there because they feel like they're supporting good with a capital G, well, our doors are open for them too. And oftentimes, it's the same person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I know that you have been moving as a company towards, you know, again, we keep kind of throwing around this word sustainability, and that can really apply to so many different categories with regards to, you know, again, the the way food is raised to the way that, you know, vegetables are grown um, to obviously talking about the, you know, lowering carbon footprints and um, also how you dispose of things. And um, one of the the goals that Chipotle had was to reduce waste by 50 percent by the year 2020 and how you guys have been working towards that. Um, I'm curious. I have sort of two questions. I'm going to ask you the first one. 
one. And the first one is, what is the thing that you have found is the hardest to address um, in in terms of sustainability? So like, what it, what do you currently, not necessarily, maybe you don't have a solution for it, or it's a little bit tougher to find a solution for it in terms of sus- sustainability and reducing waste? Sure. A, a quick note. Our goal is actually uh, to divert half of our waste. Divert. By That's right. You're right. Yep. Thank you for you clarifying that. <laughs> the landfill, uh, by the end of 2020. So we are well on our way, um, which is really exciting there. That's an industry leading goal. Um, but I think one of the major challenges that we're dealing with is that disposable waste is a component of um, the average restaurant. And certainly when you're in the QSR space, a lot of our customers want to take their food back with them. And so that their demand, there's a demand for disposable packaging. And I think anytime that you're looking at true sustainability and the impact that you have, especially in a food business, waste is a major heartbeat of that, right? So for us, I think um, knowing that disposable packaging is a component of what we do, how can we make that experience as sustainable as possible for everybody? The, the people who create and grow the raw materials to um, the the where it, the, the, the end product, right? Where it ends up um, and everything in between. So when we think about disposable packaging, we think about it really in three parts. Where does it come from? How is it used in the restaurant? And where does it go? And I think that there are challenges in each one of those in finding that sort of um, gosh, the holy grail of all three of those working out beautifully is really challenging. And so for me, and I know pretty much everyone in sustainability in this space, the challenge is how do we achieve that? How do we achieve sustainable disposable packaging? Is that an oxymoron? Is there such a thing? Um, and we're working on the front line to try and achieve that and, and better understand what that looks like. And for me, when you talk about passion, I love a problem that I can't solve right away, right? I love thinking about this stuff and challenging my team to think about it. And how do we get in there? And just because the answer isn't there yet, um, how do we create that? I think, um, you know, this idea of the sky is the limit. And if you can dream it, we can do it type mentality here. Um, We're all laser focused on our key initiatives. But this idea of innovation in a space that has been pretty stale, right? The waste space is pretty stale. There's an infrastructure that was built in the 70s for the most part that hasn't changed. So how do we innovate our way around it? So for me, that is both the biggest challenge and the biggest area of excitement. I think we've done some really cool things in the space that we can definitely talk about. Um, But for me, biggest challenge, biggest opportunity is, is disposable packaging. Well, I'm that's I'm I'm curious. What have been the things that you guys have done that you found has made a really big difference? Sure. So one of the things that I'm really excited about now is um, this idea of of closing the loop or circular economy more aptly. So this idea of what are our outputs? What is the waste stream that we have? And what is the input that we have? What are the, the things that we purchase or need? What are those things made out of? And can we connect the dots? Um, so one of the things I think everyone remembers this, I, this, this image of a turtle with a straw in its nose, right? This iconic image that changed the way people think about disposable or plastic straws. Um, and during this time, there was a lot of talk about 
gosh, what do we do? How do we pivot? Do we need a strawless lid? Do we want a strawless lid? What does that look at look like? And for me, in these really big questions that are really passionate, um, you know, there's a trend or, or there's a lot of passion behind, I let data speak. And so what we do is we audit waste. We actually get in the dumpsters and we pick through the waste and we understand what percentage of down to the fork, right? So what percent of our waste is cutlery and what percent is this and that? And we break it down multiple times a year. And one of the things that we found is that gloves or film plastic made up eight or 9% of our waste on average, um, whereas straws made up less than 1% of our waste on average. So while we still have a solution for the straw and we're working on uh, a strawless lid as well as compostable straw options, um, we knew that we needed a solution for gloves. Gloves are the nature of our business. Our employees have to wear them. Um, and there is no common recyclable solution for those. And that's because it's the same reason you can't, if you've ever wondered if, you know, why you can't recycle the plastic bags, generally speaking, at, that you get at the grocery store. It's because it clogs up the recycling machine. It's not what the recycling machines were meant, uh, were built for. They, they're meant when it comes to plastic to um, catch and, and recycle plastic bottles. And so this film plastic, as they call it, is a big challenge. And um, eight or 9% of our waste that could be diverted when you're trying to get half of your waste out is a massive chunk, right? So we knew we had our eyes on this, uh, the, the, the plastic love, and what could we do? And that's when I went back to this idea of circular economy. Okay, we know that our gloves are made up of this material. Is there anything else in the restaurant that's made up of that material? And there was, and that's our trash bags. Our trash bags are made of the same material that our gloves are made of. And I would say that nine out of 10 people would probably say, well, that's a cool, but that's a crazy idea. Um, and I feel really, really fortunate that um, maybe it's a lack of shame <laughs> to ask the question. And also the encouragement that I got was incredible. Just had the conversation say, Hey, maybe this is crazy, but you maker of the glove and you maker of the bag, can we connect these dots here? Can we, if we were to collect our gloves at the restaurant and get them back to you, could you use them? And to our surprise, the answer was, well, it would take a little bit of work, but I think we can do it. And so we did. And we innovated the first ever system, circular economy system, by which we were able to take our used gloves. Um, and we piled this in Portland, in Sacramento, and incorporate them back into the bags that we use at our restaurants. So we were able to use innovation in a way that we hadn't seen before. I think um, there's nothing that gets me more excited than creating a solution where there was none before. And one of my favorite parts of that project was that we open sourced it. So instead of, you know, coming out as saying, this is our program, we said, listen, we want more gloves recycled. And so we, we hosted a forum by which we shared, here are our partners, here's what we do, is there anyone who'd be interested? And we've talked to dozens of companies, you know, big, large, small, um, everything from airports and hospitals down to individual restaurants in LA um, that are interested in this program and working to incorporate them into it. So that to me is a, is a real um, highlight of my career, I think so far, and, and also just a major passion project. 
I'm just taking a quick break from my chat with Caitlin to thank our sponsor of the show, and that is No Issue. No Issue is the online platform for designing and ordering custom, sustainable packaging for your business or brand. With low minimum order quantities, worldwide delivery in three weeks or less for free, and a team of designers ready to help you, they are making customized packaging accessible for businesses of all shapes and sizes. Because sustainable packaging doesn't have to be ugly, so um, visit noissue.co and use the coupon code PURPOSE15 for 15% off your order. That's noissue.co and use that coupon code PURPOSE15 for 15% off your order. I love them. They're amazing. Definitely go check them out. All right, back to my chat with Caitlin. You were saying earlier, you love that problem where you don't see the solution right away, but then it it creates an opportunity for you to kind of dive deep, I guess, quite literally at times where you're quite literally diving into dumpsters to figure out, okay, what are, what are we wasting um, to then figure out the solution? So I just think that is so innovative. And I love that you guys also, you reached out to other companies and said, Hey, we want to share this rather than you were trying to like white knuckle it. Because so often in the sustainability and the ethical space, like you see companies who will come up with something and then it's like, they don't want it. It's like a secret. They don't want to share it with anyone. And I'm like, wait a second, what values are you advocating for if you don't want other people to do it too? Sure. I, and listen, I totally get it. I, I think that um, one of the most important things to me is that we don't ever greenwash, right? That mm-hmm. what we're doing yeah. is truly about sustainability. And there is an upside to that in that for, for us, it's important to do the right thing more so than talk about doing the right thing. But again, those things don't need to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. And yeah. I feel really proud of the validity of our programs and that they're data backed. And that, you know, if anything, I feel badly for my marketing and press team. They're always like, come on, can we please talk about this? And like, just one, <laughs> one more day, let me just get this a little bit further um, to make sure that it really is truly sustainable. Um, and then we can come out with it. So I understand why people hold things close. Um, but I do think that collaboration is the only answer. <laughs> I think that the problem is so the challenge, I should say, is so massive. We've got a lot of work to do um, to improve the sustainability of our planet, let alone, you know, United States and, and where we're at, um, at, at the least, right? Yeah. So yeah. how can we work together to achieve that? That gets me excited. I'm working in one little corner of the world, I like to think. And while it is massive and there's so much opportunity, um, if we can all do something, um, we can work together to help improve the sustainability of the world, which is pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, I agree. Now, I'm curious, you know, here we are. We're at the end of 2019, which is very hard for me to believe. Um, but but nevertheless, this is where we are. As we enter this new decade, the 2020s decade, or the roaring 20s, <laughs> as I'm like already calling it, and my husband laughs at me and then rolls his eyes. Um, so as we are entering this this new decade, what are some things that you think like maybe right now that, for example, the, you know, the compostable straw, the glove and recycling bag or the trash bag kind of recycling circular program, some things right now that maybe seem cutting edge or revolutionary. What do you think in the next decade in terms of sustainability is is going to become the norm or maybe 
your dream, like what kinds of things in terms of sustainability will become just very commonplace? Sure. I I think we'll see a shift from a disposable economy to one that is more of a reusable economy. And I mean that in every sense of the word. I think um, those of us in the sustainability um, line of work understand that we need pretty drastic changes to take place uh, for us to be able to maintain the, the planet as we know it, right? So business as usual, I think in the next decade will change. And I mean that metaphorically and literally. I think Brands without purpose um, will not fare as well as brands with purpose, because I think that um, it will become more and more obvious that we all need to do our part to work together to help help solve the tremendous challenge of climate change and sustainability as a whole. Right. So I think for me, this idea, I am floored, even how much waste I create as an individual person. And this is someone who's most of her career and a lot of what she does is in waste, right? So, you know, I'm currently drinking a, a seltzer water out of a can. And while I know the majority of aluminum is recycled, I think that that in this next decade, we will see a shift from in awareness at the consumer level. And if that doesn't happen or in conjunction with it, I think businesses will take more responsibility for um their outputs, right? So I think we're going to see regulation increasing around waste. We've already seen it. So, you know, requiring that businesses compost or, um, you know, have a compostable straw versus a, a, you know, a a plastic straw. I think we're going to continue to see that from regulatory. So you have one side of government mandating and businesses taking more responsibility, and then consumers being more aware. And when those three things happen together, I think we will see a shift away from the disposable economy. Um, and, and back towards, I mean, I don't know, I was, I was, you know, partially raised by a grandma from the Depression era, right? And so this idea, talk about the roaring 20s, I mean, just this idea of um, wasting less and, and, being more aware of, of what you have um, and taking care of what you have. And I think that that will come back. I think that ethos will come back. Um, and so for me, I think, you know, will it happen in a decade? I don't know. But I think that it will for sure uh, continue to move towards that. No, I think those Not- are all great points. And you're so right. I mean, we talk a lot about kind of the way our our grandparents and great grandparents generations were raised and you know in terms of clothing if there was a rip or a lost right, button right. you fixed it <laughs> you didn't just run out and get a new one um you know we i laugh all the time cuz you know like my mom even my mom was born in 1947 and even until the day she died like she was the type of person who You know, if she finished a container of butter, (laughs) that container was now what also held leftovers. Like it was, it did not get thrown away. Like, you know what I mean? So I think our, our parents, our grandparents, great grandparents generation really thought more in terms of use and reuse. And then the, the children of the seventies, eighties and nineties really kind of grew up in this more disposable one-off one use generation. And so the pendulum kind of swings both ways, so to speak. So um, yeah, but I think I think that's really interesting to think about just 
you know, what are the kinds of things that, you know, maybe do seem revolutionary right now that, you know, in 10 years or so or 15 years or 20 years, we're going to look back and be like, why did, why did we do? Why did we use that? Or like, why did we do that at that time? Yeah. And I think that there'll be a greater awareness of quality. Right. And I want to be clear that quality isn't necessarily related to expense um, or expensive. I think um, understanding where what you buy comes from and the impact that it has, that level of awareness at the consumer level, I think is going to shift. Um, and we're already seeing it. We're seeing it with a passion from our customers. We're seeing it with the questions. I mean, I get so many great questions that are hard hitting about, you know, where does this come from and why are you choosing to do it this way? And why aren't we doing this? Um, and I love those questions, right? I, I love that our customers challenge us, um, there's very little I have found that we haven't thought about or aren't aware of. There's real challenges that we face in implementing some of these things. But I think if we can continue to shift with an eye towards quality um, as, you know, an entire generation, um, we're, we're in a good spot. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to kind of shift gears just a little bit because this is a question that um, both I had and then also when uh, to be fully transparent, um, when I told my husband that I was interviewing you, my husband is a financial advisor. So he has his eyes and ears on the financial industry at all times. And um, a couple of years ago, because he knows of my love of Chipotle and mixing his love of the financial world, uh, I kid you not, for my birthday, he bought me Chipotle stock. And... <laughs> So he, I know, you know, that's what he does, um, which I love him for it. And so we were talking about this and, and he loves kind of tracking, you know, public companies, stock prices and, and what affects them and what makes a stock price go up, what makes a stock price go down, what shareholders are into, what they're not, et cetera, et cetera. And so, he, you know, back in the spring, you guys brought in a new CEO, um, the CEO, he came from Taco Bell. Um, and in a lot of ways, he kind of came in to fix things. Now, I know that obviously not think things weren't necessarily going poorly, but stock price was was suffering for a little while and shareholders were kind of not happy, so to speak. Um, and so you guys brought in the CEO of Taco Bell. Now, <laughs> Chipotle and Taco Bell are not remotely similar businesses. Now, we know that they both sell Mexican food, but nobody would ever really put them in the same category. So I'm kind of curious because since that time, since you guys brought in the CEO of Taco Bell, who's now the CEO of Chipotle, stock price has gone drastically way up. So I'm curious, like, how do you balance bringing in kind of this, like a big time CEO who's run a very successful um, company at Taco Bell while also still maintaining the values that you want to maintain at Chipotle? Like, how do you guys kind of balance that? Sure. You know, I can't speak on behalf of Brian, but having spoken with him, you know, Brian Nickel, our CEO, quite a bit about this, I think it is from day one, it was very clear that Brian understood that so much of what makes Chipotle Chipotle is our purpose. And so, from the moment I met him, I knew that our team, the sustainability team, and our vision and our purpose were not only not in question, but that they were in a really, really exciting spot. Um, and having been with Chipotle so long, I've seen, I've, I've gone through many things with them, right? And what I can say is the future has never looked brighter for 
my team and I right now. I mean, just this idea that we have a CEO and I'm again, really lucky to interact with Brian and all the officers of our company because they're all quite passionate about this quite frequently. And they're coming to me and saying, hey, what's the next big thing? What's the next glove to bags? What are we doing next? And to think that the CEO of a multi-billion dollar publicly traded uh, company is questioning their head of sustainability, um, pushing her to do more and more is so encouraging, Molly. It's this idea that from the core of who we are, it is, it, it's so clear at every level, whether you're an employee or the CEO, that our purpose is just so vital to who we are. And I will say that Wall Street responds well to that, right? This, this idea when we can deliver against our, our core values and we can deliver against our focuses, make sure that we're serving really great food in the restaurants um, and that food, food was raised from a really great place and you layer on you know, sustainability throughout that experience, whether it's with the people, the food and animals or the environment um, and ideally all of those areas, um, it really sets people on fire. It gets them really excited about this stuff. So for me and my experience, um, it's been really encouraging um, to have gone from, you know, our founder and former CEO, Steve, who this was his, you know, idea, right? This idea of food with integrity, the very core of our um, Cultivate a Better World, right? Our sustainability came from him um, and still chairman of our board. So still very much um, here and, and we feel his presence still to this day. But, you know, knowing that from that all the way to our second CEO and where we are today, um, it's being upheld um, in such an encouraging way. Um, I can't be, I, I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more excited about the future of, of this company financially, purpose-wise. Um, we're in a really good spot right now. That's awesome. And that is really encouraging that that, that is, that he's, he, you know, kind of from what you shared with me, he seems like a CEO that has really tapped into you know, what is going on on the ground level um, and not necessarily just operating from, I don't know, I, I sometimes like, I have conversations with friends who work for large companies and, and we, we sort of talk about the difference between, you know, a CEO who sort of operates from like this, you know, boss chair in in the sky sort of position where he's just kind of shouting out, you know, orders to to the minions below <laughs> versus a CEO who's really kind of active and involved and, you know, understanding what it's like from the ground up. I mean, I think of like a like a Tony Shea with Zappos and a CEO that's like, you know, he's he's not sitting behind a closed office. He's in a cubicle and he's, you know, interacting with the other employees. And um, so that's really encouraging to hear that that he has really kind of come in. Brian's really come in and, and he's he's tapping into all of those different spaces to really have a better understanding of of, you know, what's going on, what are the next things? And then he's taking that experience as as far as being a CEO of a, you know, multi-billion dollar company and and really infusing that with the heart of Chipotle. So that's really cool. And, and thank you for kind of um, for sharing that with me. Absolutely. I think it's, um, you know, it, it is we're really fortunate, I think, um, there's no doubt that he's very good at what he does, right? So that helps. But in addition, I think he's just a very real 
person and he's kind and he's a family guy. And, you know, all those things together, um, create a culture, um, and, and the, the people that he's brought in, um, and where we're at culturally speaking, it's a really exciting time to be at Chipotle. I love it. I love it. That is fantastic. Well, Caitlin, uh, before we go, I want to just transition just a little bit to ask some kind of fun, lighthearted, get to know you questions, because personally, it's my favorite part of the show. And it's also my listeners favorite part of the show. So, uh, Caitlin, are you ready for the get to know you round? Here I am. I'm ready. Awesome. Okay. Question number one. What is something that I would never guess about you? Hmm. Ooh, I'm writing a cookbook um, and have been for three years. That's (laughs) awesome. It's a very slow labor of love. That's awesome. Uh, What kind of cookbook? um, It's about seasonal eating. So actually, my dissertation was on local food systems and how grocery stores might enhance them. Very random. But I learned that more so than locally, seasonally, is how we've eaten um, you know, through from from the time of, of man's dawning, right? So this idea until the last century that we've eaten seasonally and moved away from that um, was so fascinating to me. And so, um, yeah, I, I started writing a seasonally based cookbook. So it has four parts for the four seasons. Um, and yeah, I'm excited when whenever it's done. Could be never, but... <laughs> But yes. Well, you have to let me know when it's done because I will for sure pre-order a copy. I will gift a copy to everybody. So you have um, a future buyer in me. So because I love cookbooks and that just sounds so awesome because this was actually the year that my husband and I had our first like really successful garden. And so we began to you know, learn more about what grows seasonally. And we tried to have a fall garden that actually failed. Our summer garden was great. Uh, Our fall garden never sprouted. We don't know what happened. We tried, we planted and quite literally nothing sprouted. We were like, were these just like dud (laughs) seeds? Like not, I mean, we had a whole container for our seedlings and not one of them <laughs> sprouted. So we don't know. We don't know what happened. But. Always next year. Hope is the biggest part of gardening. So exactly. there's always next year. I was like, do I did I need to like stand over them and tell them how great they are? Like is that what I need? Like, do I need to cheer on my seeds? Um okay. Uh question number two. What is something that you do that just makes you feel the most alive? Hmm. I really love people. I love connecting with people. So one of my favorite things to do is um, just a one-on-one conversation with someone. Maybe it's with a glass of wine, maybe coffee, maybe over a meal, maybe over a burrito. Um, Whatever it is, I think um, human connection is such an incredible thing. And and the ability to really um, get to know somebody and encourage that, right? I mean, someone's truest, most genuine self. I think that's part of the purpose and part of the reason why we're here. Um, And any opportunity you have to connect with someone at that level is always such a treat. And it makes me feel the best. I love that. Now, I had to ask a Chipotle-specific question because, obviously, um, what is your Chipotle order? Well, it's interesting. It has changed. Um, And one of the most interesting things is before... I worked here. I always had the same order. It was always a chicken fajita burrito with pinto beans, always. And then, you know, one of the neatest things when you work here, you get free Chipotle. And so you really have the freedom to, (laughs) it's, it's, low, low risk, high reward, right? You can taste your way through the menu. Um, and 
I get to eat whatever I'm in the mood for. So some days that's crispy tacos. Um, usually it's a bowl. Um, and man, if I am just really hungry and have gone on a crazy hike and earned it, I'll have a burrito. So it changes every time, um, which is unique. Um, and I recognize that. I wish I could say I have a go-to order still, but um, I don't. I do love our sofritas. I think our our sofritas is spectacular. That's our, that's our, uh, plant-based protein, our, our, um, organic tofu. It's so good. Um, but yeah, I like it all, Molly. <laughs> I like I, it all. I love it. That would be my dream to have free Chipotle for my entire life. Oh my goodness. I would, that, oh, <laughs> oh my, it I, is great perk. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I will have died and gone to <laughs> Chipotle heaven. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, Okay, my last question is a question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I'm going to change it slightly, and here's why. I think most of us won't have the opportunity to run a business with purpose, but work for or support a business with purpose? And I think that this is such an important question. Um, because I think the thing is, whether you know it or not, you vote with your fork every day, mm. okay? at least three times a day. And you're doing that whether you're buying from the grocery store or the market, you're going out to eat, you're eating at a friend's house, what you consume matters. Um, and that's the same. And that's just food, right? So you're voting with your dollar, where you're investing your money matters. And so um, for me, I think business with purpose is such a, a key part of hope in the future. I think that it means standing for something, being vocal about it, um, and making sure that the choices that you make as a company are in line and follow that purpose and mission. Um, and I think that there is a level of transparency that's really important in that whole process. So know what you believe in um, as a company, know what you believe in. Um, and as a consumer, I would challenge you to, to try and find out if you don't know what, what companies believe in. Again, I feel very fortunate that I have chosen a career path and, and been lucky enough to have this career to work for a company with purpose. Um, but I would say that if it's not clear, ask. And if you're unsure, maybe consider supporting something else. Um, and uh, if it doesn't align with, with your, your values, you know, one of the great things about living where we do in this time is you can voice that opinion and you can be part of the change and you can choose to not support something that you don't believe in and you can choose to support the things that you believe in. So I would say, um, you know, I know that doesn't answer your question completely, um, but whether we know it or not, we're supporting uh, purpose <laughs> uh, every day through our dollar and our fork. Um, and so it challenges us all to know what we're supporting. Well, Caitlin, I have to say that you think that it didn't answer my question, but it was actually the perfect answer. And you probably don't know this, but my listeners are probably like, what was this planned? Because something that I say on this show, I mean, this is, I mean, you are, you know, episode like 180, no, 172. So out of 172 episodes, probably a hundred of them, I have said something to the effect of you vote every single day by the way you spend your money. I Absolutely. say it 
all the time on this show. It's probably one of my most commonly used phrases. And so the fact that you you said you vote every single day with your fork is just it's it just go it goes perfectly in line with um, the mission of this show, my life's mission, and something that I, you know we advocate for all the time. And, and I always say that too, like part of the goal of this show is to just really show people that whether you work you know in, in a more kind of corporate environment, whether you own a small business, whether you work for a small business, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what position you have, but you have power as a consumer. You have power as an employee. You have power as a business owner. Whatever position you are, you have power. Um, and that is through you, you know, voicing your opinions, the way you vote, um, by the way you spend your money and all those things. So Caitlin, I mean, I just think it's perfect uh, because that really does just flow so um, easily in line with with what we, we share all the time here on this podcast. And so um, Caitlin, this has been truly a pleasure and honor to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. And if you are ever in North Carolina, and if I am ever out there, I hope we can get Chipotle together because that would be amazing. <laughs> Let's make that happen. That's a good 2020 goal, our yes. first resolution. Yes, we are making it happen. We are making <laughs> it happen. Caitlin, thank you. Thank you, Molly. I had so much fun talking with Caitlin. I love that not only is she a fan of Chipotle, I mean, she works for Chipotle, so of course she is, but she's also from Cleveland. She's a Browns fan. Um, And I just really loved hearing a little bit more of the vision for sustainability that Chipotle has. And it just made me fall in love with them even more, which I didn't even realize was possible. So I'm so grateful for them coming on the show. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Now, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned. Let me know on social media. You can find me at being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Thank you again to our sponsor, No Issue. Check out noissue.co for all your sustainable, customized packaging needs and use that coupon code PURPOSE15 for 15% off. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. (laughs) Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe button to help make sure you never miss a new episode. And would you take a moment just to leave a review, leaving a review? you really just helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, with support from Kelly Dalton. And the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Now, thanks so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. 